Salford Council have mm -hmm. invested and taken calculated regeneration risk, but the outcomes are, are superb. But ultimately, you know, you look at all the great cities in the world and they don't turn their backs on the river. Meet John Hughes. John has been literally helping us to build this city for over 20 years. He's a managing director at Ask Real Estate, the team who has shaped some of the most influential developments in the city, like First Street, Home and Embankment. John's career started just one year after the IRA bomb in 1996, when I had just founded Roland Dransfield. At that time, the city was getting back on its feet and plenty of regeneration was underway. So what was it like to come to Manchester at such a busy time and have a hand in transforming whole areas of the city? Who were the people that made that happen? And how do you make sure that gentrification doesn't leave people behind? I'm Lisa Morton and this is We Built This City. John, welcome to We Built This City. Thank you, Lisa. You've promised me for the past two and a half years that you'd come on and and is here it, we are. Is it modesty or just too busy? A uh, bit of both. <laughs> bit of both. <laughs> right, so you're an adopted Manc and you were born in Blackburn. Yeah. But um, as we say in this city, you were drawn to Manchester, but you were telling me you were drawn a couple of weeks earlier than you wanted to be. So tell us about that. Ah, right. Okay, yeah. So uh, I was at Sheffield, Hallam University. Final exams were kind of May, sometime in May. Um, and But I got offered, when we went back for our final year at uh, university, fourth year, so I got offered a job at Henry Boot Developments, um, kind of around just before Christmas. And it was either Sheffield or Manchester. I was like, yeah, I want to go back over the right side of the Pennines. And um, naively, they said, when's your last exam? So I told them the truth and said it was like Wednesday, the whatever of May. And they said, right, well, you start there. It's the following Monday. And I didn't really think I was too excited. I've got a job. I'm a grad, you know, when I graduate. And then it kind of dawned on me as we got closer to, you know, finals that everyone else was going away, you know, on holiday, a bit of travelling. And I started work in Ardwick for Henry Boot on the Monday. So I had about four <laughs> days off. That was it. And then he said you never had a two-week holiday for about 10 years about 10 after years, that. yeah. No two-week holidays. Yeah, probably through cricket or just friends were always off doing other things. So it was like a grab a week here or a long weekend there. So you grew up in Blackburn then, so why was Manchester calling you, do you think? Um, when I was, you know, at home in Blackburn, if there was ever a, you know, teacher to run strike or get a, a day off or whatever, we'd get the train, come into Manchester, get to Victoria and then head to Aflex Palace. So mm -hmm. that was an early memory of coming into Manchester. And it just felt like this big, bad, great city, really exciting. And that was kind of, you know late 80s time I suppose so um, I always had that sense that that's where the action was if you're certainly in the northwest I had no experience of any other regional cities at that point but I went to Sheffield because of the course but even when I was in Sheffield we used to come over quite a bit to Sankey's or whatever to you know to a club night so always the obvious place to come back and then we moved to got a, got a shared house in Didsbury West Didsbury so what were you doing then like what was Manchester like when you came back I think because we moved to West Didsbury, Burton Road, the Metropolitan, all that action there, I think most weekends we'd not move within an hour of mm. 50 metre radius over a weekend. But often we would come into town, usually every every other weekend, and we'd go to like Punanas or Funkademia, something like that. Mm. So that was that was a great kind of three or four years um, around the Met and then coming into town. But also working in Manchester was an eye-opener because obviously I'd, last year at university, I'd missed obviously missed, you know, the, the bomb 
uh, had happened. So, um, you know, we'd, we'd read about it and, and, and saw what was happening. But then when you, when you came over, I remember going out for lunch in SSS as it, as it oh was. My gosh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, just thinking, this is such good fun. You know, there's a proper like, community of surveyors and, you know, property people. And it was a buzz. It was a real buzz. And the city centre then, obviously, it, it had really started to, to fly. Working at Henry Boot, we were very much doing out-of-town retail parks, B&Q retail warehouses, supermarkets, stuff like that, which was great fun, logistics a bit as well. But I'd come into Manchester for meetings or at the weekend and you'd see what was happening. You know, these buildings were going up and they weren't kind of ground plus four or five storeys. There was you know, some big buildings going up, spinning fields particularly. And I just thought, oh, yeah, I quite fancy this. I quite like the idea of this. And really at that point then, I suppose, turn of millennium, early, early 2000s, the whole urban renaissance was really starting to have an impact, certainly in Greater Manchester. So I wasn't actively looking to, to leave. I'd, I'd thought I quite fancy doing something different. And then I yeah, got ahead hunted, went to meet Ken Knott and, and Simon Bate at Ast, two of the founding shareholders. And I left. I went in thinking, I'm not really bothered about leaving Henry Boot, but I left the interview thinking, I, I need to go. I need to go and join these guys. This is, this is where it's at. It felt you know, really exciting. And they were talking a language which I'd never really been exposed to about placemaking, regeneration, partnership, all these things. Whereas as a developer at Henry Boot, and there's nothing wrong with that at all, we were buying, buying a site, getting planning permission, doing supermarkets, retail parks. And it was great fun mm. and very you know successful. But you never really felt you were doing anything with a purpose. Yeah. And my, my legacy to my hometown of Blackburn is a... In terms of real estate, is a is a B and Q warehouse and a, and a Curry's and a, I think a little. That's it. It's not bad going that. John. No, it's not bad. No, but you would think, well, I can maybe do a bit better than that. So that's interesting. Then, so you came to Manchester in '97, so it was a year after the bomb. Yeah, I set Roland Transfield up one month after the IRA bomb. Wow. And that was, I think, as you say, that was a time where there was already a commitment, wasn't there, um, from government as well. Yeah. There was a fund, the Millennium Task Force. Task Force, Hazel yeah. Tyne and, um, That's it. Yeah, yeah. And so there was already a minded to try and look at how we could improve the city. But then that obviously completely was the trigger for it all, yeah. wasn't it? But it was an exciting time. And I came back to Manchester to work. The city, all the buildings were black. It was really post-industrial decline. Mm. I mean, there was about one pub open on a Sunday, if you were lucky. So no one was really in the city other than um, Saturday night, Friday night. Yeah. There's a change of pace, wasn't there, the city at that time, where public and private partners were coming together. It was a really, the dynamics were really strong. So did you feel that at that time? I think initially, um, when I first moved over to Manchester, probably no, because um, the kind of sector that I was working yeah. in was not in the city centre. Mm. When I joined Ask, I was really fortunate, you know, because um, my first day at Ask, I'll never forget, two of us joined on the same day. And that other person got given what became First Street um, and um, uh, Rossetti Place on Key Street. So a spec office building mm -hmm. that they were working with, we were working with Crosby Homes in a joint venture next to Granada Studios, as was. I was told to um, go and have a look at Greengate. And I said, well, where, where's, where's Greengate? I don't know where that is. And they said, oh, it's in Salford. So I was like, right, okay, well, I'm in Manchester and now you're sending me to Salford. <laughs> but I didn't have a, I didn't realise, so naive, stupid, that the kind of River Irwell is, the, is just the barrier, mm -hmm. physical barrier between Salford and Manchester. So they said, just walk up Deansgate and when you get to kind of Harvey Nicks, turn left and go under the railway bridge. And it's all that land over there that we own a big chunk of. 
so off I went. But I did think, right, well, it's a big chunk of land and it's literally a good good cricket throw over the railway line to city centre, Harvey Nicks, the cathedral, the shambles. And you think, well, there's got to be something in this. So that was 2003, March 2003. And... That labour of love, which was Greengate, which became Embankment and those office buildings. Yeah, I'd, I'd still get a real buzz going to that part of town just to look from Manchester across the new pedestrian footbridge, the public realm. That was my first experience of proper partnership working with, with Salford and with Network Rail, mm-hmm. uh, to be fair. And we had a guy at Network at the time, a guy called Tim Dickinson, who used to be come from the private sector and gone into Network Rail. And he, he, without him on the Network Rail side, we would never have got that never have got that over the line he had a real passion and a commitment for it I did work to a degree my first experience working with Manchester was so we did Central Park and that was a joint venture between Ask and Aquila North Manchester Business Park became Central Park so I worked on the kind of periphery to a degree with Dave Birkinshaw and Ken and the team but I was with Fujitsu so it was a big prelet to Fujitsu um which was which was really hard work to get that get that over the line, but I got introduced then with Ken or through Ken uh, to going to meetings with with Sir Howard in his office to strategize how things were going to get delivered, how problems were going to get unlocked, and it was just fascinating. I'd never experienced anything like it. The kind of ability to think in that strategic manner, have conversations with people who would make things happen. It was it was incredible, mm. and I got a real buzz out of that. I thought this is this is where the action is definitely. What in Sir Howard's office having a cup of tea? Yeah, yeah, and how you know not favours at all, but just very clearly, right? Okay, you you're meant to be doing this. What are the challenges? Why is it not happening? Right? What, what can I do to help? You know, that's it. And the it was all outcome based, and the outcome had to be what was going to make it better for Manchester, and particularly in East Manchester. How is it going to improve? the lives of people, job creation, jobs in construction, jobs when the construction had completed. That was always, always the driving the driving force behind it. Just going back to talking about embankment, obviously you've just launched 100 and yeah. we've been involved again since 2014 when I think that's the time that we were told to go down onto site and there was you know there was just a great big car park there wasn't there it was yeah but the vision of you and the vision of Salford City Council it's a beautiful development it opens up the medieval quarter it's now an absolute gorgeous space isn't it yeah Um, and you've got the peace garden so it's really amazing I mean and two things there is vision and collaboration yeah so talk to me about that because Manchester is known for both of those things yeah 100% and I think it was through colleagues at ASK who'd been working in collaboration with Manchester. That was kind of in the DNA of, of our business. So that was very, very clear from day one. You're working with Sulphur Council. We're working with Network Rail and we sit around a table. There's no sitting across from them. So, yeah, we, we own the land. Therefore, the Urban Regeneration Company had been or was shortly set up there after that. And that was one of their strategic priorities. So we went to see uh, the chief exec and the head of estates and, you know, said, look, we've, we've got this land. We think if we come on board with yourselves and with Network Rail, it's the old exchange station. It was the most profitable car park mm, outside yeah. of London. It was just incredible. Obviously, <laughs> people park and go into, go into Manchester. But it's a massively inefficient use of land. It was non-operational railway, which is really important. It made life slightly less complicated opposite, opposite Network Rail. But I think for me, that that was the first example of how if you had a vision, 
and it was credible and there was a degree of sort of design inspiration so that was the first project that Fielding Clay Bradley uh, worked on in Manchester so we had a design competition a point you know Salford Network Rail and ourselves uh, went to the market master plan vision and they they pitched and we appointed Fielding Clay Bradley and then the kind of hard work started you know there's lots of lovely CGI's I mean we had a launch of the the concept on the in a big marquee on the old car park opposite the cathedral and also I should say as well the support from from the cathedral was significant Mm. Uh, everyone involved there and Anthony O'Connor particularly around the fundraising side it was always very supportive. We was always a slight concern. You've got this beautiful cathedral, we're going to build buildings opposite, but 100% behind the behind the project. And I think as well, demonstrating to Network Rail at the, at the highest levels down in London, that look, our idea was, look, we've got this land at the back. So if we invest and bring you public connections, public realm, uh, pedestrian connections through from Manchester and give people a reason with high quality public realm, creating really cool places, water features and spaces where used to be a bus station and people would get off the bus and they would get out of there, get out of Dodge, PDQ. But now, to pull people through, so English Partnerships money, Northwest Development Agency money and Salford's own own money as well. So we said, look, we'll share the value, the uplifting value on our land will come through when we develop Network Rail's land. So we'll share with Network Rail some of our uplift and obviously you get your uplift. So that was the the kind of argument of the story, Mm -hmm. the, the persuasive story. Um, behind that and Network Rail said okay well, fine we'll do it so we didn't have to go out to a big development competition which usually we did you know for every big project that we, we generally went for but because we had land that was ours you know we said well look we'll put the two together and some of the parts will be will be greater and it's taken a while you know it's you know we you know obviously you were there when we did the 100 embankment launch with with X and Y and, and Salford but 20 years yeah which is extraordinarily <laughs> long and we tend not to go f- for projects that are going to take that long <laughs> But you've got the office buildings, you've got the work, the development we we did with Vita, well, with Select, sorry. Um, and if, you know, we walked down there in 20, 2003, who'd have thought, you know, Pep Guardiola would live, would be living there, you mm-hmm. know, and footballers and there's just, it's just, there's, a, there's an energy around it. Yeah, there really and is. it's all the development that's gone on that Renica particularly have done behind, but it doesn't feel like it's behind the station, behind the railway no. line now. It just feels like it's an extension of the city. And to a degree, there, was, there used to be, right back at the start, a little bit of, I think this is because of the BBC, you know, where were they going to choose for their big HQ in, in the north? There was a bit of Manchester and Salford, but it, it soon went. Mm. It soon went, truth be known. And obviously, yeah, everything's been done from there because it's very much now the city region and, and the combined authority. You know, Salford Council have mm. invested and taken calculated risk, regeneration risk, but the outcomes are... The superb, and yeah. you know the, the benefits are there to, there to see. I think, um, but ultimately, you know, you look at all the great cities in the world, and they don't turn their backs on the river. Most great cities yeah. have a river of some sort going through, and for whatever reason, over many, many, many decades, probably because of what the river was used for, you know, back in the industrial yeah. age, you know, then um, you did turn your back on it because it wasn't a pleasant experience. But it is much, much better. And talk to me about First Street then, because that's another project that we've been involved um, with yeah. you for a very long time. And it's a whole kind of community in itself now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. So as I said, when I started, I was given the Greengate uh, projects, working on Central Park and also a job out in Ashton under Lyme. But the business owned lots of land, the southern end of First Street. So from the kind of Mancunian Way, 
halfway up First Street. And then the old British Council, which was then became BT, uh, Grand Island, as, as people might recall, asked, bought that off Henderson Investors quite a few years ago when we were part-owned. One of our major shareholders was um, Morgan Stanley Real Estate Fund number six. This is all pre the global financial crisis. So we bought that building and the land around it. So we then had a kind of 25 acre site, you know, in the city center. So I took over that project, number one, first street on the one Tony Wilson place, uh, as it is called, uh, was getting close to practical completion, global financial crisis. I think, I think Lehman's had just gone bust when we were about to PC. So I got him, I took over that project from a colleague who, who left and it was hard work. I mean, you know, the, the, Everything was, you yeah, know, I mean, you know, the COVID and the pandemic was was terrible, obviously, for very different reasons. But yeah, you just start to think, well, you know, what's happening? The, the foundations of everything is shaking. So vacant building, and it sat vacant for a little while. Fortunately, the city council were doing a major refurbishment and investment in the town hall extension, and they needed somewhere uh, quite relatively cheap. Mm. They couldn't be paying thirty pounds a square foot, clearly. So we did a deal with the city, um, which worked for us, and it, it was a good deal for them. So they moved, you know, whole swathes of, of, of teams down to number one, First Street. It was rent-free. I think they paid the rates and the service charge, and, and that was it for three years. And while they were in there, I think what became acutely aware to members of um, the city council, uh, as it had been to us, was that you can't create... It was the best example of, of what not to do and what you couldn't do again, which is you can't create an environment where people are going to work. You want people to come and work and businesses to make decisions on where they're going to invest and bring their bring their people. If you don't have an, a rich amenity and things for them to do, whether that's at lunchtime or after work. So we thought, right, the city council are going to be coming out soon. So we thought, right, we better we better get a cinema operator or we need to get some sort of leisure destination that will drive footfall that will uh, make it economical then for bars and restaurants to open. So we went to see Sir Howard and said, look, we think this is what we need to do. When the, when you come out of the building, we need to do a bit of refurbishment. We need to relet it, but we need to create, start to create an environment where people will go a bit of destination. So uh, in a classic Sir Howard style, he said, well, leave it with me. I think I've got a better idea. Phil walked away thinking, all right, well, that, that, thing go, that thing go to plan. Uh, and then I think a couple of weeks later, um, yeah, Ken went to I went to a meeting at the time. I wasn't there, but um, the idea was the corner house, uh, which the city were obviously putting a lot of money into on an annual basis. Austerity was, was coming down the track, cutbacks. So they couldn't, I don't think, keep investing in the corner house. Uh, Arts Council were going away from revenue grant, right to capital grant. So and of course the um, library theatre were out were not didn't have a home because the the, theater, the library was being refurbished yeah. and brought back to glory. So the idea from the city was well, we'll put the two together: the corner house, the library theatre. You know, give give us a land for a pound, effectively, and we'll we'll deliver it. So off the back of that, I was unable. We were unable to secure the inside Melia Hotel mm. for their first brand in in, in the UK. Uh, Q Park because we needed a at the time we felt we needed a, um, a big big car park hub and then off the back of that with home you know fantastic new public realm big open spaces we always felt as well that we had to be greener more more trees a bit softer of landscaping and bigger spaces between the buildings we didn't need to go as dense 
as perhaps other, other developments have had to. We spent a lot of time, uh, Argent were great. We went down to Brindley Place to look at mm-hmm. Brindley Place, get some inspiration from from down there. Also Chiswick Park, uh, that whole, you know, live work kind of concept, which had obviously been a great success. So, yeah, we we, we got on site. Uh, Waits built it for the council. Carillion built it for us. And literally, as the cranes, the crane tower cranes on site, diggers started, and suddenly you could tell when we were presenting to occupiers who particularly were coming into the city centre from out of town, places like, you know, Auto Trader over in Haydock and Newton Willows down the M62. And um, they liked the idea. They could have big floor plates, um, but a competitive rent rent position, you know, discounted to the you know prime prime in the city centre. So literally, we had a really good run. Auto Trader, Ford Credit, Jacobs Engineering, uh, Amaze were the first in there. To be fair, and that was all off the back of right. You're, we can tell you, it's not just CGIs. You are building this this great place, and then home opened. And up until the pandemic, I mean, I think it was between eight and 100,000 visitors a year footfall. So people were going to that part of the city, to First Street, for a reason, not not to go to work. Mm-hmm. There were lots of other reasons to go there. And um, and the kind of it feels to me now, and I, I take great pride in going back. I just love when the big screen's on or, or when the jazz festival was on. And it's probably, I just love, you know, sitting around, yeah, watching the jazz festival, but seeing other people having a great yeah, time so and thinking, good. God, you know, all that hard work and that stress and that worry, it was all worth it. Oh, it always is. Same with Embankment. We got Embankment over the line, unconditional, uh, which was really tough. The sense of relief. And when you go, I spent quite a lot of time there over the summer. Whether the screens are a game changer, yeah. And you know, been for the like the World Cup final, and there's been there's been so much stuff on, and there's a real mix of age groups, kind yeah. of backgrounds, there's loads yeah. of dogs there. Yeah, it's yeah. just, you know, yeah. it's a great atmosphere and everyone kind of congregates there. They had after the marathon, the 10K. Yeah. 10K it was a brilliant yeah. day. Yeah. It was so much fun there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um I think home's a big driver of yeah. that. I do. I think it brings in an eclectic mix of of people. I really do feel that it's a part of Manchester where it really feels like Manchester. It does it and it feels like you could wear what you want, be who you want, and nobody bat an eyelid. Nobody cares. And there was such an uh, you know, an outcry, wasn't there, when Corner House was gonna be closed. Yeah, I mean, there was like yeah. literally we were mourning. And I, I remember well, everyone just thought can't. we can't not have the corner house. Yeah. It, it's Manchester. Yeah. And I remember I think it was literally about a week before it closed, there was a film out called The Selfish Giant, which if anyone's listening to this and you've not seen it, you must see it. It's incredible. And I'd been to see it. My mum went to see it. She said, you need to go and see it. And right. then I would see it twice because it was so good. On the second time, it was like a Wednesday afternoon. It was rainy Wednesday afternoon. And it was in the small cinema of the corner the house, corner the tiny house, one. Yeah. And I looked down the line and Richard's Richard Lease was actually in there as well. And he saw me <laughs> and I said, what are you doing? He went, I'm skiving. He went, so am I. I said, I had to see this before it closed. But, you know, and it was a special place, the corner house, like you say, but what home has achieved is just oh. it is incredible yeah yeah i mean it's, it's incomparable isn't it yeah. really to to what the corner house was and i remember a lot of the people we, had, we did the consultations which we went along to it was dave mutry who, who bore the brunt mm. of the of the outrage uh from from people but what struck me was it wasn't so much from the people who were going to the cinema like you, you know you it was more people who like well i like sitting there having a coffee and watching the world go by. And it's like, well, it's an art centre. I know, not, but a Friday night not... in the corner house. That's when I lived in Russia and we always went night. to corner house. But yeah, yeah. To drink.
Are you been at Ask 20 years now? Is that yeah, right? 20 so years, what yeah. what makes you proud when you get up in the morning? Yeah, I think um, I mean, we came to town on Sunday, late afternoon for something to eat, and I do like pointing stuff out to the kids, mm. but they're quite interested in it, yeah. uh, particularly the younger. So um, she likes the idea of it. She likes the idea of what, what we do, city centre, building things, delivering things. So I'm just really proud of of the buildings and obviously the places in the public realm. But I think Manchester now is is a on a level of sort of sophistication and, and value where all these sites that have been wouldn't have been looked at even probably ten years ago actually, uh, maybe a bit longer, they, they can come forward now because you know the value notwithstanding the current viability issues, but on the long term, the kind of values and the sophistication of people who are working, whether it's designers, engineers, investors they see that in Manchester you can sustain that level of investment and get a return that's that's worthy of that investment, which I think that's probably testament to how much Manchester's moved in that 10, 12, 13 year period that certainly I've been more focused on on the city centre. Definitely. And you, I mean, the developers who had the innovative ideas or they had they took the risks, they had mm. the confidence, they had the vision, have set the foundation really, haven't they, to make this yeah. like a mecca for international investment yeah. now. So yeah. And a lot of those names, then those businesses fly under the radar, don't they? That you yeah. don't necessarily have it because you can come in and do that now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, you think about does Manchester still need at a political level, the intervention that it, that it needed, for example, when, when the bomb went off and what's happened since then is I, I think means that it's on a, it's on a footing now as a, as a city economy or a city region economy, you know, includes Salford and the Crescent and over towards Salford Keys, Media City. It's of a scale now where it doesn't need that level of intervention the barriers to entry are are very high and that's a, a good thing in the sense that you know land values are high there is there is competition from global capital international capital that wants to invest and developers want to develop in in Manchester in the city and, and Salford Manchester I think outside of London is is so well placed but I think that's that's because of the hard work of civic leadership and people who were investing, like, for example, you know, Tom Bloxham, Urban Splash, who were, who were doing their thing long before it was comparatively easy, which now, compared to then, it is. You know, the, the risk premium is is probably lower for Manchester because there's evidence there that you can develop something, it will let, it will sell. People want to live there, people want to work there. They The risk, therefore, is, is much, much less than it was when mm. people really were groundbreaking mm. back in the day. There's a Manchester News article just last week around gentrification yeah, and a piece of work we did with Manchester City Council last year, which was our year 2022, which is about putting young people at the heart of what we do as a city. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. A city region. There are lots and lots of young people and people who are just a mile down the road yeah. who have no feeling that this is a place for them. Mm. It, and we talked about maybe inside the ring road. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a country in itself. And we talk about levelling up, but have we all got our own levelling up issue, really, in terms of some of the other parts of Greater Manchester and the Manchester City Centre? Yeah. So what are your views on that? You know, how far are we going to go with that, do you think? Ultimately, I have a view, which is, you know, you concentrate the investment, which it has been in the city centre. That's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. Um, I think that will then... It should, the idea, the thinking is, uh, and obviously it works in London in the southeast where it draws in people to higher paid jobs. And then the thinking then is when they go home, they can sustain their local economy, whether that's, you know, better shops, restaurants, you know, et cetera, and, and obviously higher quality housing. Um, 
But I think maybe because the rate of change has happened so quickly comparatively in Manchester over the last, let's say, let's say 20 years, the massive growth, that there's been such a focus on that um, and, 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 and a need to focus on that, that the, the kind of left behind places are, there hasn't been that rate of, of, of improvement um, that the city centres, and it's probably more stark now visibly because of the towers, you know, we look out the window here, you know, Deansgate Square, which I just think is absolutely fantastic. You know, it's great. Um, and the fact that people are moving in there, you know, they want to live in the city centre, that's fantastic. That makes it sustainable. But undoubtedly, there now needs to be, I think there is definitely more of a focus on a civic level around, okay, well, the, the city centre economy commercially and residentially is almost self-fulfilling and self-sustaining. Therefore, the focus has to be, on those areas, perhaps just outside the city, um, you know, north of, let's say, uh, Strangeways, uh, Bonington's Brewery, the Oak Valley, and I know FEC in the city have got a huge project there. That's quite rightly, it seems to me, now a major, major focus for the city and, and the new leadership from Bev Craig and, and obviously at an, an officer level. So I think everyone understands that. Obviously, you've still got huge projects coming through, whether it's Ancoach Retail Park, Mayfield, hopefully, uh, ID Manchester, you know, they are big, big, but they are getting bigger and bigger and bigger because the capacity for Manchester, hopefully, to absorb that scale is really important. But ultimately, what it what it what we really need to do is make jobs more accessible for, you know, younger people, well, everyone who lives just over the other side of the ring road, you know, people in, in Hume, for example. And I was uh, fortunate to be on the board and non-exec and then vice chair of, of One Manchester, a registered provider. We were based in Hume. So, you know, you re- I really could tell how passionately the, the residents who sat on the on the board felt. They were very positive about what's happening in Manchester, but they they did say it does feel for them it's hard to access. And it feels you can imagine if you're in Oldham or Rochdale or, you know, you you're you know you're literally you're at the top of a hill and you're looking down on Manchester and you think, well does that what does that do for me? And that is a challenge, but you know, at least you've got a chance to improve that compared to other places, other other regional cities where I think those problems are more entrenched. It's a massive challenge, but the city council have created a new housing company. So, you know, if they can they've got the land, Manchester own lots of land as a council, which a lot of councils don't do. So uh, I'm sure we'll see that start to, to come on stream um in, in the coming years in in a bigger way. We've talked about values in lots of different ways here, but obviously, you know, I know Ask for its values and how it shows up as an organisation was one of the reasons you wanted to come here. So we talk about values at Roland Dransfield a lot. It's become our brand, I think. What's been important to you over the years? I think when I joined Ask, it felt like a family business, even though it was all different shareholders. But Andy and Simon and obviously Mick Hucknall had, had known each other a long time. We're very, very close. Um, and with Ken, who, you know, is a, a Mancunian and had that in, in his core. So that was part of the DNA of the business. And it's it's always been that way. It was the first business that I saw, say, creating places for people. It's it's a well-trotted out phrase and almost a bit of a cliche now. Um but was was important. That was very much about the buildings and what was in between them, as as well as as inside them. But I think you know the whole partnership based approach, and also being honest with people. You know, we always found that, particularly working with the public sector on a local level, local council level, it was just they wanted to know if there were challenges, what the issues were, and then let's try and work through them rather than you know don't not give us the bad news. Mm. You know, don't pretend that it's all going well because it, it rarely is all going really really well. Mm. There's always challenges. So I think. Transparency, 
I really always try with with the team uh, when I well from when Ken was in charge, and then when I t- when when I took over from Ken back in um, twenty fourteen, it was very much about you know trying not not to blame if there is an issue going wrong. Don't sit on it, you know. Don't mm. bury it. Don't keep digging. Just you know share it, and then we'll work it. But mm. it's, no one's going to die. Mm. We'll work it out, and we have that on every project. There's always something which is, but we have you know any red flags, it's, it's shouted early doors. So I think that makes it a hope for colleagues, an environment where everyone gets worried and stressed, but it's not a worry about you know, oh my god, it's all going to go wrong. Yeah. I'm, I'm out the door. It's no, just tell the sooner you tell us and share challenges, the better we'll, we'll work away through it. So that's like our admit it, fix it, move on. Yeah, so, yeah, I yeah. Completely. And uh, the other one that I really like about yours, but it's what's on the front of the shirt, not on the back. Yeah. And yeah, I've I've always really struggled. There's no iron team and all that sort of stuff, mm. but I, 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 I don't like working with organisations or people where it's, it's all about them. And yeah. there's quite a few egos in our industry, but you know, generally we work. And I find this more and more. You say to people, "I just want to work with people to get on with, whether it's consultants, architects, designers, whatever." Um, and so many people say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You just want to, life's too short. You just want to work with people who you get on with. Yeah, no um, dickheads. That's and, another one. No dickheads. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a better. One. I should have just said that. I should have, we'll, we'll adopt that one. But I think for us, since uh, so the Richardson family, who are the majority yes, shale and yeah. our our provider of you know of capital and, and invest and backers. So they they were the I think first out the blocks after the bomb bought the print works what was the print works mm-hmm. off the off the co-op I think back in the day and you know they delivered and I think for me from the outside of the city seeing that happen that they they did it and then when Richardson's bought into Ask uh, back in twenty seventeen uh, to go back in with Lee Richardson to see how we we'd not seen for quite some time. But because they delivered and they invested and they performed, then Howard said, "Yeah, come in and come in and have, a, have a cup of tea and a chat. What are you going to do? You're going to reinvest in Manchester." And we did. We bought the land at First Street, which we'd sold to Patricia. We bought all that all that land back. So the door was open because they'd proved because you proved they'd, they'd, yeah. Uh, yeah. they'd walk you, the talk. You're time waste if you get yeah. it. You know, don't don't bother. That's, that's right. So yeah. I think that that value. But I think ultimately, it's not so much legacy, but just just pride and and you know, at the point in time when you know I'm past it and you know. I've not got the skill sets, you know, to to do as things change so, so quickly now. Oh my God. Uh, It's probably think about, you know, some of the buildings and to be able to go to the buildings and like touch and feel and, you know, that's something that I think. And that's why um, I went to the ashes this summer and probably my my proudest one, which is not a lot of, we don't get a lot of kudos for it, but it doesn't matter actually. What does kudos mean? Nothing. It makes you feel better about yourself. But we know that we worked with Lancashire Cricket, County Cricket Club, Back in the day when you know they'd lost the ashes, the ground needed significant investment, and there was no money. There was no money in the in the, in the literally in the bank for them to do that. And they were they were um, being courted by Manchester City Council to relocate over to Sport City oh, next yeah. to the Etihad. Yeah. So I got we got wind of that. Obviously, it was in the press. So I literally picked up the phone to the cricket club and got through to Jim Coombs, who was chief exec. And said, "Can I come see? I've got an idea." So I knew that Tesco had a requirement for a big, big supermarket in that part of uh, Trafford. So I said to Jim, "Look, if you move over there, there'll be a significant value of, of your of your site. So we could do a Tesco. You, you know, they, they pay a handsome." In the end, it, it didn't work to relocate the stadium, but um, they needed to do something. They really did. I remember going to meetings, and in the end, we got planning permission for a big the big Tesco. Traffic Council were great. I mean, we worked well with Trafford when we did the Ermston Town Centre mm. scheme. 
and they bought into the idea of virus section 106 you know channeling that tesco money to the cricket club who then you know off the back of that you know invested hugely new stadium new new corporate facilities new new media center and uh, got the ashes back in 2013 yeah. and we were there this year and it was sold out every day it's just fantastic it is yeah. a fantastic, fantastic venue isn't it yeah, yeah, for sure brilliant. well you're a cricketer yourself weren't you so oh, you that, used that's to be, a lovely yeah, um, little be, kind yeah. of yeah. squaring of the circle yeah. the expression is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's that, so okay. do you and you used to play with gary neville and michael vaughan didn't you when we were kids, yeah, when we, yeah, obviously when we were yeah, you're kids. Not yeah, later yeah. Years. So Garrett, yeah, so Lancashire under th- Lancashire schoolboys under thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Yeah, and then me and Gary for Lancashire, we got picked to go to the uh, England Schools Cricket Festival down at uh, Oundle Public School down in Northamptonshire, which was great. And we played, I think, three or four matches. I think we won most of them. Michael Vaughan was in our team. And yeah, it was just, I mean, Gary was good. Gary was a good player. I, was, I could bowl a bit. But Michael Vaughan was just off the chart. I, don't, I think when he, he batted three times, three matches, and no one got him out. He was not out at all. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> so um, I didn't get selected. Gary broke his finger, dived to catch a, catch a, in the slips off me. <laughs> Caught it, dropped it, but he broke his finger. So there's a picture of him with his, with his arm <laughs> in a sling. Yeah, and then I, I think he, uh, he stopped him playing a bit after that, to be fair. But uh, I remember doing my GCSEs and I was sort of still in touch with Michael Vaughan a bit. But uh, yeah, he made his debut for Yorkshire at, at Lancashire when we were still at school, which is just, yeah. But uh, yeah, I got to, that's what I wanted to do. And I got to him 16, maybe 17. I just thought, I'm not good enough. No. I'm not good enough. But Which I was at peace with, but so many people I we played to, with. yeah. Just couldn't get their heads around that they they weren't going to make it as a as a professional. I was, I was but you're over it. You're not. <laughs> definitely you're not nurturing yeah. a wound there. No, no. So and so you live in Didsbury now. It Didsbury yeah. through and through. The kids have kind of grown up, gone to school there. Yeah. So and you married. You met your wife in the Metropolitan pub, didn't you? Yeah. Ex- yeah. Correct. So left. Yeah. Moved to Manchester, Didsbury in '97. Lived with a couple of mates who would come from Sheffield. Uh, went into the Met. Met these. These lads who are still pals with now, we were all like Withenshaw, Northernmore lads who were great, great guys. And yeah, and Ellen was, uh, she was a student at the uni and yeah, she was working behind the bar. So I hovered around the bar for a couple of years, plucked up the courage. What, what line was I found out that she was doing landscape and environmental planning. So I thought I've got a bit God, of a connection there. So it was like a work chat. So that was my way in. I'm embarrassing. Yeah. That's the most. Yeah, yeah. that was it. So uh, yeah, stay in Didsbury. Uh, kids' uh, passports say Withenshaw, which they just they just love. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> and um, yeah, no no plans to move. No plans to move. No. I'm going to ask you a quick fire, quick fire Manchester round. So All right, okay. three manks who have helped to build this city, and not just in bricks and mortar. Tony Wilson, uh, Sir Howard Bernstein. And I think uh, she's no longer with us, but uh, Caroline's go. Yeah, she's amazing. Actually, what an yeah, incredible. We, we, the, um, had the pleasure of we worked on a joint venture with her and her colleagues back in the day. I ask when I first started. That was that was great. It was on the casino bit actually. We worked oh, with, with Carol. Yeah. And yeah. did she? They did the express buildings, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Because I remember launching that for her. 10 months pregnant with Alex, right. who's actually in this room right now. And and wow. I gave birth the next day, I think. The next day? Yeah, I was on high heels. The lunch went well then. Lunch. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were trailblazers in, uh, in Ancoats now, weren't they? So Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she was amazing. Yeah. If you could have built one building or done one development in the city, which isn't yours, what would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. Beetham Tower. Um, what do you order at the Chippy? 
fish, chips, mushy peas, always cod, never haddock. Oh, really? Why? You know, you do the whole Yorkshire, Lancashire. Oh, I see. Fish thing. Well, is yours a balm or a, what do you call it? No, just fill it. Fill no, it, I mean, but what do you call it? Do you call it a balm cake or what do you call it from Lancaster? Oh, Lancaster? right. If it's a chip butty. Yeah. A balm. Yeah. Yeah. You're forgiven then. Um, <laughs> so describe Manchester in three words. Exciting, edgy, still, um, buzz. Mm, I like it. And you'll see what I'm going to do here. If you could have one ask for Greater Manchester, what would it be? The equivalent of an Elizabethan line for the north. Oh, so right. a proper fast train yeah. from Liverpool all the mm. way, Manchester, Leeds, Sheffield, you know, all that, that whole, yeah. if, you, if you've ever seen it, if you've not seen it, sorry, Evan Davis did a pro, two-part programme years ago called Mind the Gap and he started in the north and he showed the wealth of the north and the concentration of investment and GDP and all that and it showed then post-World War Two, and then and then London, well, the southeast and then it just concentration, concentration and he described the fact that if you go from Liverpool to Hull, kind of that M62 corridor, then it's equivalent in geography scale mm. and GDP to kind of greater Los Angeles. So if you could, you know, yeah. get that working as a region, then then you could do something. You could have, I think as Jim O'Neill said, that that would be a net plus to UK GDP mm. if you did that. If you're going to let us down on HS2 to Manchester, then you've got to do something Something like that, I think, to, to have any credibility. That is a really great ask. Okay, John, thank you so much for joining me on We Built the City finally. Finally. And, you know, in true sense, thanks for helping us to build this city. No, thank you, Lisa. I really enjoyed it. John Hughes built this city by knowing that the city region is stronger together, by having cups of tea in Sir Howard Bernstein's office, and by putting Gary Neville in a sling. On the next episode of We Built the City, you'll hear well-known Manchester recording artist and lead Hacienda classical vocalist and educator Yvonne Shelton. That episode will be available on the 1st of February. This podcast was produced by Purposeful Podcasts. If you want to build a community around your business or your brand, please do get in touch with our amazing team through our website at purposefulpodcast.com. If you'd like to hear more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk. You can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or X at RDPR Tweets. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 27 years on 0161 236 1122. And in the meantime, don't forget to rate, review and follow We Build This City. Thank you.